Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is the doctor. Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm so proud and excited to welcome all of you to this new space and this new time and to welcome Dr. Doreen Grampichet. Good morning, Dr. Grampichet. Good morning, Shannon. It's such a wonderful day and congratulations and I'm excited to be on the new network. I am excited for, for all of us. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for me. I'm excited for Parker and Carrie who are joining us. I know there was a little scary moment this morning where it was like, is this going to happen? Is this not going to happen? But we're here. We persevere, right? Uh, so I am Shannon Penrod. And, uh, and you can see that I'm joined here by a true autism expert. I believe the preeminent expert in our time. And there is no other time for autism. Uh, Dr. Doreen Grampichet is here with us for this next hour. She is going to be answering your questions live in this format. I have to start with a very important disclaimer that all of the opinions that I express here today, all of the ex opinions that Dr. Grampichet expresses, we, the, they are our own and no one else's. And that Dr. Grampichet, although a brilliant expert in the field of autism, cannot give you individual specific advice in this format that would do a disservice to the individual that is on the autism spectrum. We encourage you to seek out experts that have eyes on the situation, but please ask uh, questions that are specific so that Dr. Grampichet can uh, attempt to give you information. Uh, Dr. Grampichet, did I leave anything out? No, not at all, Shannon. Yeah, we want to make sure that everybody knows that I can't be uh, giving advice that's exactly uh, maybe pertinent to your child because I don't know the children that we're talking about or the, or the individuals that we're talking about, but we will do our best. That's right. I have to start with two questions and then I'm going to get to the questions that are on, they're coming in on the feed. I, I love, good morning. Dark Angel, Paula, so excited to see all of you. But Carla wrote into us last week and said that uh, she says, Hi, my daughter recently became more verbal, but uses a carrier script every time she speaks a verbal utterance. She begins each utterance with the phrase polar bear. For example, example polar bear, bye mom, uh, polar bear, candy please. Um, any ideas on how to eliminate the carrier script? She did send us a video, which we're not gonna show, but I was able to show that to Dr. Grampichet. Um, and she went on to say, uh, another example, polar bear comes before everything and then she follows everything with a cha-cha-cha-cha pretty girl polar bear. Uh, and she says, ha. And she says, but how do I eliminate the carrier script? And by the way, what a cutie patootie her daughter is. Absolutely oh my gosh, beautiful girl. Gorgeous, gorgeous little girl. What a, what a cutie, absolutely. Um, so, you know, whenever we have these scripts that sort of come out of, like, they just don't look like they're making any sense, um, it's usually because the child has seen it in some TV show or a TV program or some version of it, or maybe has heard it on some program that they're listening to online. Uh, so first of all, let's find that program and stop it. Whatever that is, we're not going to watch that anymore for a while. And, and let me just say that 
uh, be prepared because when our kids become kind of obsessed about one thing or like a TV show and you take it away, they will go to any length to get that show running again. So uh, I want you to be prepared. She might actually have a tantrum. Uh, she might have a hard time with letting go of that, but just ignore it if she does have a tantrum and it will end and you'll start to kind of replace it with other things. Um, what you can do right now is one of the things you can do is to hold up the fingers to represent the number of words that actually should be said. Like for instance, if she wants, if she wants to say bye mom or hi mom, that's two, not four, not polar bear bye mom. So you're kind of giving her a visual prompt of what she's supposed to say. So you would hold up your hand and say, bye mom. If, when, and you could even uh, like put your fingers on her mouth to, to slow her down because it sounds like, uh, and I did see the video and it's, it's you know, she's, uh, her articulation is a little bit off as well, um, but she's saying it very rapidly. And uh, so I honestly think that there's a few other things that you could, she could benefit from uh, if you went to see a speech therapist, because um, you do need to work on the articulation. Absolutely. And this would be a great time because the speech path would also help to, uh, you know, remove the polar bear from all of her speech. Uh, it's not a big deal. It happens because our kids um, they, they don't really understand a lot of language. So they tend to just, uh, repeat some of the things that they hear. And usually these are things they hear on TV and they're trying to communicate without knowing exactly what the meaning is. Wonderful. Thank you. And then I hope that, uh, she will write back in and let us know how that works and follow up with us if you need additional information. I'm so thrilled that so many of you are writing in. Right now we are live on many different platforms. We're live on Facebook, we're live on YouTube and a bunch of other places. Uh, so we're excited. I'm gonna get to the questions that are coming in live, but I promise because we had a viewer from Norway who'd been waiting forever to get their question answered. Uh, they say they're originally from Ethiopia. I have an autistic boy five years and six months. And my question is when I deliver him to school, he's okay. But when I pick him up from school, he is very emotional. He bites me um, and uh, his reactions are not good at all. What can I do? So, you know, it, it sounds uh, terrible, but I, I, I'll give you some good news, which is that he probably really enjoys school. So I'm not sure you should probably have someone observe, first of all, to make sure what's going on in school, because whenever we have a behavior, it's kind of called behavioral contrast, where in one environment, the child is very happy and in another environment, the child is not that happy. So in that sense, you first of all, always wanna check and make sure that things are good in school and safe and so on. And secondly, once you've done that, I really think that what your child is trying to communicate is probably I don't want to go home. And hopefully that is because uh, your child is enjoying school a lot, right? And if that is the case, then what you have to do is two things, I would say. First of all, 
you we never want to have a different reaction when our kids um are are uh you know having a tantrum or screaming or so on because if you do react to that you're essentially telling the child that their tantrum was an effective form of communication and we never want to do that because the more you kind of react when a child has a tantrum uh, the more they will tantrum because now they've figured out this is a way to communicate with you so um what you do is when you pick up your child from school completely ignore the tantrum uh and the child's five and a half so hopefully you can just take your child by the hand and uh, quickly rush to the car. Um, I would recommend that you increase the reinforcers that are associated with you. So in other words, when you pick your child up, you can bring a small toy, uh, like maybe uh, maybe a, a small uh, food reinforcer, something that your child will associate with you and will look forward to. Uh, so for example, you could get, you know, tiny, small, little toys that are not expensive from like 99 cent stores or places like that. Um, little things like, you know, a bubble machine or things like that, that you can just give to your child as soon as you, you um, pick the child up or get to the car. Um, and also you can do uh, you know, like a, a little candy or a lollipop in the car, something that your child will now look forward to. Because remember, it's always very hard that when a transition is occurring and the transition goes from a preferred activity to a non-preferred activity, and a lot of times our kids will react to those particular transitions. So hopefully that answers the question. I love that. And I love that that uh, parent was able to be here to hear that question. So thank you so much. I'm going to go to some of the questions that have been coming in live. Uh, and Parker says that he loves the new visual. Traven did an amazing job. You guys are going to see a lot of new things coming in the next couple of days. Make sure that you tune in tomorrow uh, for our first episode back of Autism Live. We have a new opener to Autism Live that was top to bottom made, designed, created the concept for it all by individuals on the spectrum, uh, including the music. I'm so excited. And they were all paid for their time. Uh, so excited. Uh, we worked closely with Spectrum Laboratories and with several of their artists. So you guys are gonna see that tomorrow, which is uh, super duper fun. Uh, but Traven did this today and, and we just wanna thank Traven. He's doing a wonderful job here. Uh, Dark Angel says, is there any hope for my 3.5 year old son to talk again? He used to talk since June, he made up a language. Okay. And I think I saw a couple of more messages coming in about that child. Do you see You're absolutely child? right. He says he can, uh, they say he can repeat whatever you ask him to repeat, but not answering questions. Mm -hmm. um, and let me see if there are any more. I think that that is the only one, the only other okay. one. Okay. So yes, absolutely. Uh, this is unfortunately the experience of of many many parents and usually yeah and it's it's you know 
the the term for it is regressive autism, but I don't know, I don't I don't really care for that term. But what it is is basically your child loses skills, and it's probably a little even more traumatic than when a child doesn't develop those skills. So I, I, you know, as Shannon would often say, air hug, first of all, because I know that it must be a very scary moment for you right now. But yes, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the children that we work with have had uh, language and at some point lost their speech. And I think that this is, and your child is three and a half years old. This is the absolute uh, perfect time for you to start doing ABA or applied behavior analysis. And that that is what will get your child's speech going again. Um, and right now, repeating is good. Uh, it's called echolalia and it is kind of, it's a more um, basic form of language. If you can think of uh, babies, for instance, infants and so on, they will just repeat. And gradually the next phase after repeating is what we call manding. So then the next phase is to teach the child to actually use words to request. And then after that comes tacting, which is what you're referring to, which is teaching the child to label objects and kind of point to objects and label them and so on. And then after that comes intraverbals, which is kind of talking about objects. And it is entirely possible that your child at three and a half had already gotten to the tacting level and has lost some of that. So uh, it'll come back. You need to do uh, ABA as fast as you can. Um, and, uh, you know, let us know where you are. Maybe we can help you find someone who can start with you, but it is a process of uh, teaching the child first receptively, in other words, touching objects so that they become familiar with the sound, and then later um, sounding out objects or identifying objects by by naming them. Um, Also, another thing I would suggest is that you check your child's hearing uh, and make sure that your child's hearing is doing okay. Um, and you can write in and tell us a little bit more. Uh, was your child recently ill? Um, is there something else going on with your child? In, usually this kind of regression starts with some sort of environmental thing. And of course, it's very important that you also look at things like, what is your child's diet? I'd want to know a lot more about your child because uh, we need to work on stabilizing Uh, which means we want to make sure the environment in every possible way is kind to your child, whether it's a diet change or whether it's an environmental thing we have to change so that's not sensory overload. You know, tell us a little bit more about what has recently happened. And I just want to say that another person has written in, Navid, says that their son is four years old but hasn't started talking uh, yet, very very little eye contact, and they want to know if there's any hope. Um, and I know it's different than what the last parent said because the last parent said there was language and then they lost it. Um, so I want to address that. But when you guys talk about hope, I, one of the things that I said was that I want to be telling the stories. I want you to look at this was my son. Um, right before his third birthday. 
And he had been speaking at one point and then he lost virtually all of his communication. And this picture, I don't know if you can tell, is a picture taken of him laying on his side because it's the only way we could get him to look at the camera because there was virtually no eye contact and there was virtually no language, but he would babble. He would, he would make these high pitched noises and he, it was, he, like you said, made up a language. He would, um, but there was nothing that meant anything. Um, I want you to see that this is my son's high school graduation announcement because he graduated with honors from a college prep high school. See, I skewed my glasses in June. So if you want to know about hope, um, that's what we have for you. Um, now his story is not everybody's story because every kiddo is different, but I want you to know that what Dr. Grant Pichet just said to you to do ABA and to do it intensively, to do it as soon as you can, as much as you can, as often as you can, and learn all the things that there are so that you're following through on it. That is what I was told to do, and I listened to it with every part of my being because I believed wholeheartedly that it was my child's best chance. And it turns out Dr. Grampuche is right. <laughs> yeah. But also, Shannon, I want to touch on that the fact that you did some other things. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really important, I think, that we kind of, you know, ABA is the teaching tool, right? It's, and whatever you can do as a parent to make your child's health better is going to expedite the way they learn. Um, so I agree with Shannon. Obviously, ABA has been is my whole life. But what I really think you also need to do, and, I, and you can almost see it with when you see early videos of Jem as well, there's a lot of the times we kind of think it's the autism, but our kids are struggling with gastrointestinal pain, sometimes with overload of sensory stimulation. Uh, sometimes they have headaches, they can't express it to us. Sometimes they just feel cloudy because of uh, too much uh, fungus or candida in their gut, you know, and it's really important that we take care of all that stuff because it makes our children aware, awake, and ready to learn. And so that's kind of why I want to say that's all very, very important as well. And, um, and, and then your child becomes ready and moves forward and, and just takes in the information. Absolutely. Dark Angel did write back in and said that they, they're actually just coming from getting the ears tested and the ears are good and that they have already eliminated dairy and sugar, which is fantastic. I think that that's a good place to start. Uh, a lot of times, you know, people will recommend and Dr. Grampiche can talk about this more than anybody else, uh, eliminating gluten. I'm always about getting rid of the pesticides as well. Yeah, I would definitely get rid of gluten next. Uh, you, I like it, you know, it's hard. It's all very hard. All of these dietary changes are very, very difficult to do. All of us as parents are so busy and, and, you know, learning about it and doing it is just incredibly difficult, but I will tell you guys, parents now, it's a lot easier now than it was about 10 years ago and parents 10 years ago managed to do it. So now the next phase for you, which I think might make a difference, is to actually eliminate uh, the gluten. And uh, gluten is just the protein in whole grains. And fortunately, nowadays, you can buy so many products that are gluten-free. I'm more or less gluten-free. 
uh, I'm, I've been uh, casein-free, which is dairy-free for years. Um, and I, I just can't digest it anymore. Like some of these things are so bad now, our animals that where we get a lot of our, you know, dairy products from are just, they have so many toxins, unfortunately, and, and a lot of our vegetation and, and all of, you know, in the United States, at least uh, almost a hundred percent of what we eat is now genetically modified. And these genetic modifications uh, really make things very difficult for us, for our kids. It becomes almost impossible to digest these foods, and there's very little uh, actual nutrition in, in our foods, unfortunately. So a lot of people struggle with inflammation, removing the gluten as well. And sometimes also, as Parker notes, uh, or, uh, the artificial coloring and flavors as well, those things tend to do, are just difficult to digest. And if we can get rid of some of these things, it just makes the inflammation less. And, you know, the immune system is in the gut. And as you make the inflammation less, you find that the child will be able to pay a little bit more attention. The reason for this is that when we're eating these proteins, we break them down or our children, they break them down to a a peptide level. They don't break them down all the way to amino acids. So and these peptides tend to leak through the gut into the bloodstream and they mimic uh, our endorphins. So by eating these gluten products, the, uh, casein products, etc., our children literally feel like they have a high level of endorphins. So they feel sort of high. And, and that's not an ideal kind of situation for learning. So they're not awake enough and able to pay attention enough. So I would definitely try to do those elimination diets as well. I do want to go back to Naveed. Don't, not, don't want to forget that because, yes, Naveed, the same answer here, uh, whether your child has just not started uh, language yet or has regressed, uh, the way to proceed is always going to be Make sure that you're stabilizing the child's health through all of these things that we just talked about. Check on the diet. Uh, make sure the child is feeling good, sleeping. That's a big one that I, often we overlook. Um, and when you've done those things, you need to do intensive ABA so that the child can pick up and learn, kind of like intensive tutoring. And then they can just learn and, and move forward. And if you're doing enough ABA, as Shannon said, hopefully your child will catch up to his or her peers. There we go. Since we're talking about enough ABA, I'm going to go to Sajal, uh, who writes in and says, hello and thanks. I'm from India. I've been using skills and on your advice have increased ABA from seven and a half hours a week to 20 hours a week. And I can see the difference. I have two Great. questions. Great. Whenever he is looking at something visual, like screens, posters, showing words, like putting on your mask, animal stickers, moving trees, paper, his interaction uh, referencing drops. And number two, when I ask him what he did in school, ABA, play, et cetera, he can tell a few things, but not like in a full paragraph. I have to uh, ask direct questions after he tells me two to three things, and he is four and a half years old. And she and they say, thank you so much uh, for previous advice. Sure. Love that. Um, yeah. 
I'm just making a sentence. I'm just making notes for myself. What was the yeah. first part? Could you repeat the first part of there? Absolutely. Whenever he's looking at something visual, like screens, yeah. posters, showing words, like putting on your mask, animal stickers, moving trees, moving paper, his interaction referencing drops, okay. which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what they mean, his interaction referencing, but let's let's make an attempt here to answer that. So, uh, you know, both of those things are really, really good examples. And I would say you clearly, and I love it when people have already started to uh, kind of really understand what ABA is all about. And you definitely are a parent that has... Uh, learned to identify the details. And I love that because that's kind of how you move forward. And in both of these scenarios, you, you do a shaping procedure. So whether it is a matter of he looks at something and then his referencing drops to uh, like one sentence or one word, you start at that baseline and you start to reward an increase in that. Again, as I said to the previous viewer, prompts when we want to increase just the length of a sentence or uh, just an increased shaping of a sentence, you can use like, I need two words now. I can't, I'm, one is just not going to get the reward. I need two. Um, writing the words is another way of prompting. You can model the entire sentence, so on, but you're shaping increased words. So the child no longer receives a reward for one word. Now you need to have two words and you can, as I said, model it, write it down for the child, prompt with a visual, those types of things. Um, and you do that so, uh, gradually so that the child can, this is, there's a thing called set shifting in which has to do with being able to um, move a cognitive set from one type of activity or stimulus to another. I'll give you an example. Um, there's actually a test for this. It's called Stroop. And this test gives you, like, it's a screen, and it'll show you, or a piece of paper, right? And on the paper, you will have um, a whole scattered numbers, like one, two, three, four, just all over the page, and letters, like A, B, C, D, also scattered. So the numbers and letters are kind of mixed into each other. And then you ask the child, to start with, let's say, one, but then to go to A, and then two, and then B, and they're drawing a line. So one to A, to two, to B, to three, to C, like that. And that is a practice, and you'll see how difficult it is for children, sometimes even for adults. It is a difficult task, but it forces you to shift sets. And so you're going from numbers to alphabet. And that is difficult to do. You can shift sets with lots of different things. An example is, you know, a child is watching TV and, and you're calling their name and it's almost like they don't hear you, right? And it sounds like he might be having a little bit of difficulty with set shifting. So you can practice those types of activities as well as try to show him a stimulus and increase his verbalizations or his referencing through shaping. The second part of the question is kind of the same thing. It's good that he's talking about school 
and that he's saying like a, a few phrases. That's good in itself. And all you have to do is now require more. And you basically, uh, you can give him a piece of paper that has, you know, five numbers on it. And so he will know now he has to say five things about school. And once he's done that, you can give him a reward, like take him, get him ice cream or whatever it is. Um, again, you can hold up fingers, that type of thing. And it's just a matter of shaping a longer experience. Now, what's hard is that you don't know really what happened in school. What I would suggest is that you ask the teacher, if possible, to send a note home. Sometimes teachers have a notebook where they can just write in a couple of sentences about like just the mundane things that happen in school. And then you want also to ask the teacher to write if anything out of the ordinary happened. And the reason for that is that it is important for us to not just to teach our kids to tell you what happened, but they have to put it in an order. And if you think about it, if something unusual happens, our kids should talk about that first right? When you ask them, what, what, how was your day at school? They should start with, oh, the fire alarm went off. We had to all go line up outside, that kind of thing. And then they can tell you maybe, oh, and I had lunch with so-and-so and, you know, the rest of the nor normal stuff, the ordinary stuff. So get some notes from your, from the teacher, and then you can go about uh, teaching those things. Wonderful. I just, of course, I have a game to recommend. Yeah. Uh, question number one, because uh, honestly, I, I'm looking at a bunch of people. We've all done a lot of Zoom meetings since this all has started. Right. And you know how most Zoom meetings, people just sit and talk. Right. And people have gotten very used to like just not reacting to the screen. And I love when I'm on with a good presenter who then asks questions and forces people to interact. And it really messes with some people's heads. So uh, is it any wonder that our kids get who've had so much screen time and COVID have started to think of it as not being interactive and that they don't do anything else except just stare at the screen. So there's an amazing, it's old. I think you have to look for it for a used one, but there's a game called Hullabaloo from Cranium. And there are ones, but you want to get the one that comes with a DVD and you have to have a DVD player to play it. There might even be a computer version of it, but it's basically a guy with a room full of kids and you have these interactive pieces that you put on the floor and they're in different shapes and colors. And then you play the DVD and this guy will say, all right, we're playing Hell of the Loo. And he's crazy and he's fun and the kids all do things. And they spin a spinner and he says, all right, everybody move to a red square. And they have to look on the floor and all the kids on the screen are doing it too. And then he, he asks them questions and they have to yell it out at the screen. So I guarantee you, your, your kiddo will love it and it's interactive and it will force them to set shift and interact with the screen. So hullabaloo, cranium, I don't think they make it anymore because, you know, I don't know. Um, but you can probably find an old one on, on eBay. Um, it's because you know I love games, Dr. Grampy Shay. Yeah. And if you can help. Absolutely. And on that note, our, our um, toy guide is coming up soon, huh, Shannon? Our toy guide is coming up soon. So make sure you guys are uh, staying tuned for that. I'm working hard on it. Uh, okay. Uh, I want to go to a question from Pearl. Pearl wants to know, 
what's going on inside her child's body. Um, he can't recognize body signals, goes toilet at least at, at the last moment. His facial expression is always neutral, even when he is sick. He is nine years old, but quite verbal. Yeah. It isn't uncommon, Pearl, for our kids to not have contact with their own uh, kind of body experiences. Uh, whether it be, I mean, you know, it used to be, now we're on, I don't know, the, the 10th version of the diagnostic criteria for autism. But I do remember that, like, so we are now on DSM-5. And before that, of course, was four revised. Then before that was four. And before that was three revised. And I think it was like around DSM-3 or something where one of the symptoms actually, Shannon, was... Uh, uh, you know, indifference towards pain or, or various other body types of experiences. So it's very common for our kids to not have those, the ability or awareness, let's put it that way. And I think to some extent, you can help them identify some of those kind of more external, uh, you know, things that you can manipulate like hot and cold and pain and all that. But a lot of times, not just with our kids, but with others, you know, typically developing kids, it's very difficult for them to identify th things that are a little bit more complicated. Uh, like, you know, I'm afraid or I'm sad or those types of things. I, we, the lessons that usually we do in ABA are based on modeling. So um, they essentially have to do with... Um, just, you know, Shane, can you still hear me? Cause I'm getting yes. all kinds of signs. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so like the, usually what we get in ABA, what we do is just kind of teaching the individual to look at others and to understand like facial expressions that will, uh, that will signify sadness, happiness, pain, um, and, you know, hopefully that acts as a model for our child to be able to express some of their own. If you as a parent can predict or can tell when a child is starting to feel a certain way, and that's the time to help them label it. Um, you know, basically, if you know that your child's feeling pain, that is when you tell the child, this is pain. This is what's called pain. Whenever you feel this, you have to say, I'm hurting. And you have to tell me where it's hurting, those types of things. Um, you know, and as I said, unfortunately, and that's the most important one, I think, to most parents is our children being able to say when they're in pain. But there's so many important emotions, like I'm tired, I'm hungry. Like I remember, Shannon, you told me a lot of stories about when like Jen used to be uh, hungry and he would get angry at things. I Charlie was the same, my daughter, and she, we used to call it hangry, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and then I love the story where you say that Jem later on would say that to you, right? I love that. Yes, he would ABA me. He would go, I, I think you're tired and you're hungry, and I think we should stop and you should get something to eat before we continue because you might say something you regret later on. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, he's a, I'll tell you what great ABA did for him. He is able to identify his states now and identify it in other people and be helpful and useful. But if you think about it, if you don't have language and you're feeling something and you don't know what it is, it can be very disconcerting. It can cause anxiety. 
when someone explains to you, oh, you're feeling whatever and you have a label for it. And then then you can you can communicate it to people and perhaps get some help and support with it. My son didn't know what cold was and and he had confused it. So he you know, he would say "I'm, I'm cold when he was hot. Yeah. Because somehow he had mislabeled it and it took us a while to say what you're feeling right now is cold. It's This is cold. Let's step outside. That's cold. Now let's go back inside. That's warm. Now let's, you know, go in, in the room where it's really hot and that's hot. And we had to keep pairing it with the language, with the thing. And then he got it. You're fine, though. We can hear and see you, Dr. Grant. That's great. That's great. I just lost all my uh, chat or the message. Oh, okay. I so still got I'll just, it. I'll just depend on you. Okay. Um, But anyway, those are great lessons. I want to go to Paula, who's written in and said, hey, my son, 16 years old with ASD, ADHD, SLD, has been going through a stage of having meltdowns on the weekend. When we chatted about why he's so upset at the weekend, he uh, and has a meltdown. And he said that he that's what he does at the weekend. Have you any suggestions on how we can break this cycle? Thank you. Sure. I mean, I, I, this is one of the reasons that I love our teenagers. I just, I, their comments are so uh, just, you know, straightforward that they're, yeah. I love it. I think it's so funny. It's so adorable. So, um, you know, any kind of challenging behavior, you always have to um, figure out what the function is. And when I say function, just an easier way or, you know, English version of that is to say uh, exactly why does it occur, right? So what is causing it? What's the cause of it? And basically, uh, you always, the cause is going to have to do with the individual wants something or wants to avoid something. And it's really um, that simple. So uh, the things that sometimes we want are objects, activities, attention. Um, all of those things are the things that we might tantrum be, or have a meltdown because we want those things. And when we have a meltdown, we receive those things, right? Uh, another uh, version of it is when we're trying to avoid certain things. And the things we try to avoid are, again, activities we don't want to do, places we don't want to go to, foods we don't want to eat, things we don't want. And we have a meltdown. and And then after the meltdown, people kind of back off and leave us alone. So we actually effectively avoid those things. So, the, you know, tantrums and, and all these challenging behaviors are not part of autism. They're kind of a, a form of communication, right? So either the child is frustrated and they're trying to avoid something and they're trying to express it to you that way, or they're frustrated because they want to gain access to something and they're communicating it that way. So what you have to do is not... Uh, is to give the child the message that meltdown is not effective communication. It doesn't work. When you have a meltdown, you're not going to get the item or object or attention that you want. When you have a meltdown, you're not going to get to avoid the situation that you want to avoid. I'm actually going to help like motor you through it. I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. 
There's no way your meltdown is going to make me back off. There's no way your meltdown is going to help you avoid this situation uh, or gain access to a situation. So for instance, I'm not going to give you attention when you have a meltdown, but I am going to give you attention. I am going to back off. I am going to give you the object you want, or I'm going to help you avoid the situation if you communicate it in a more appropriate way. And a more appropriate way is going to differ for each child. Some children can actually vocalize. So instead of tantruming, we model for them to, to speak and to ask for what they want. Some children cannot vocalize yet. And instead of tantruming or having a meltdown, we teach them to use either icons, like a picture of what they want or what they want to avoid, uh, or sign or keyboarding, some other non-vocal way of communicating. And everybody has can communicate in a non-vocal way, right? As long as you teach it. And as, as long as you reward the the more appropriate communication and do not reward the meltdown it will change there's no question because from the child's perspective it doesn't work anymore so uh it's not that he just has meltdowns on the weekends it's probably that when he has a meltdown uh the reaction that he gets on the weekends is uh the reaction he wants and during the week, perhaps at school or whatever other environment he's in, he doesn't get that reaction. So you have to kind of figure out what the function is. What is it that he's really trying to gain access to or trying to avoid? All right. I'm going to throw another log on this fire because, Dr. Grampisha, I'm holding up these because, you know, these pens that we got that you and I love. I love so those. Yeah. They came from this parent. Um, and okay. we both, we both love these pens. So I want to thank do, you. you guys can see there, they have a little crown on them and we both love our crown pens. Um, so, so this is how my memory works and it might be faulty, but I seem to recall that a few months ago, maybe six, eight months ago, that one of the concerns that we had was that there was a certain amount of anxiety at going back to school once school was back in session. So I'm wondering if part of it is, is that because there were a lot of reinforcers to get through the anxiety at school, I'm wondering whether he's keeping it bottled up at school during the week because he has to. And, the, and because his response of, well, that's what I do on the weekend, is that that's the way he's managing the anxiety, is that he gets through the week, does what he has to do, but then he can let it all fall apart on the weekend. Okay. Um, so I'm I asking. Love, I love that you said that, because that is such a great question, Shannon. And it's sort of like a, you know, grad school level question. It's such an advanced Really? I Have I graduated from grade school? <laughs> I'm excited. It's a great question because, you know, it, I here's here's my perspective on that. Absolutely. Sometimes our kids have a lot that they manage, whether it's anxiety, depression, uh, just stress in general. So do we. We all do, right? And Sometimes we will tell ourselves, I just need to, you know, chill and I just need to take care of myself. I just need to let it all go and just relax and like love on myself and so on. Right. And certainly, I mean, there were therapies back in the 60s and 70s that inc that involved 
having meltdown as a therapeutic type of intervention where you would actually, it would give you these big uh, bats that were made of like, you know, um, like padded material mm -hmm. and they would have like a, a boxing type of thing and you would beat the hell out of this boxing thing and it would get all of your anger out, right? And certainly if an individual wants to have a meltdown in their own room, in their own space where it doesn't cause any kind of issue for anyone else, that's okay, okay? But that's the only circumstance where it's okay. And even if they have anxiety and they've held it all together, the we have to help the individual find more adaptive ways of letting their stress go. And having a meltdown on the family is not okay under any circumstance. So what are some other ways that you can help your child maybe release the tension and perhaps the anxiety and stress and so on that they've experienced? There's several, right? For instance, you could have them do physical activity. In fact, that's why exercise and so on on the, on the weekend is always really good for kids because they kind of get it out. You can actually do things like um, this funny shine because there are yoga classes where the entire class is focused on this and like they play music and they make the room dark and you're supposed to like jump up and down and scream as loud as you can during the course of the class because it just releases your pent up energy. You can think of things like that that are done for this purpose. But it needs to be kind of something that is not disturbing to the rest of the family or to anyone else. And then it serves a purpose uh, that is more therapeutic. I love finding an outlet. While, while you were saying that, I took a sip from my mug that uh, for my birthday, my husband got me. I've always wanted to learn how to throw on a pottery wheel. And he um, got me a month of classes and so this is this was the mug that was one of the first things that I did. And can you see it got all rippled and it got all messed up? And the teacher was like, throw it away. You'll make another one. And I was like, no, nope. I want to I want to turn it into a mug. It's one of my favorite ones, the way it came out. I love it. And but but I also want to say that this you can imagine the stress of the last month, you know, ooh, it got a little high um, to get here today. This for me was a great outlet it's throwing on a pottery wheel, playing with clay. There's a sensory element to it. It was quiet in the studio. And so I got my brain to be quiet, but it was very physical and you had to focus. And it's about getting things to go in, in a, a circle. May, I'll tell you what, this uh, class was the best thing for my blood pressure. And it reminded me that we all need to have an outlet and, there, and you know, being pushing on the clay because first you have to get all the air out of it was really good. And it, rem it reminded me how, how much we all need some kind of outlet like that that's creative, that's physical, that allows for creativity. Uh, I already said creativity. But you know what I mean? A, a place oh, yeah. you're to be. Oh. Um, so I agree. This was my answer, but I know people that have given their sons, their teenage sons, bongo drums, and they tell them, go beat, beat that thing to get out all your feelings, get, you know, and put them in a drum circle. There are lots of constructive ways to purge what you have going on. Let, let it out, let it go, as they say in Disneyland. Uh, so, 
you know, uh, I, I love that, you know, saying if he wants to go have the meltdown in his room, uh, as long as he's safe, all, all to the good. Uh, hey, Way Forward says, I will follow whatever you say, Shannon. You have what I want. I understand what you mean by that. Finding Dr. Doreen and you on YouTube when my son was first diagnosed was the answer to my prayers. I'm so appreciative of this content and we're appreciative of you. They go on to ask, can methyl B12 injections be helpful for kids with ASD? Mm -hmm. So some kids, yes, absolutely. I mean, I have seen children who have benefited from this. You need to see a physician, though, and they need to do a lot of testing to see if your child actually needs methyl B12. And this is really important because it's not just something that works for everyone. In fact, it can be harmful if you do too much. So I would definitely get with a physician. And the physicians that generally will... Uh, be able to guide you in these areas are the folks on MedMaps. Uh, there's a lot of physicians that are listed. MedMaps is an organization that provides ongoing continuing education and such for physicians who are working within the world of autism. And so I would go there. I think you know their their website, Shannon. Yeah, I think it's medmaps.org. Let me let me look it up real quick while we're while we're doing this. Um, but I also know you can get there from tacanow.org. Um, so, um, but I'll I'll look it up. You you keep, or do you want me to give you another question and we'll come back to that? Sure. Uh, so um, our our beloved Um has written in and said, "Hello, gorgeous ladies. I'm so sad. I've done literally everything, and I see regression." Even my supervisor can't figure him out. I don't know what to do. He has a hard case and no one can help me. Do you have some words of wisdom for her? I guess, I mean, it's tough. Sometimes we feel like nothing is helping and that's like, that's gotta be the, the hardest time. Um, I think you, the best thing to do, Shannon, is probably what we did, what you and I just did a talk on in AS for ASA, which is um, make a list of everything you've done, uh, but be very honest about it, right? So like, when was it that you looked at his diet? When did you look at his sleep? When was the last time you looked at other health factors? Perhaps, uh, you know, does he have toxicity levels that are need to be dealt with? Are there, have you dealt with sensory issues that are coming in? Uh, how, how, what is his nutrition? What's going on in his environment at, at school? Uh, how is his therapy going, his ABA? Just kind of make a list of it and then see if any part of the list is kind of broken, right? Or is there something that was done a long time ago that worked that we need to bring back into the picture? Our kids are just very sophisticated and uh, some, you know, it's, it's a evolving system, right? Things change with our kids. And sometimes when we're trying very hard to push on something, it's some other factor that we didn't think about. I had one of my families recently was telling me that they were just, you know, the child wasn't learning, wasn't learning, wasn't changing. And then suddenly the parent remembered that, oh, two years ago and, and before they used to have a lot of fungal issues. 
And they went and sure enough, the child needed to go back on a dose of antifungal medications and then everything started to pick up again. I don't know what's going on right now with your child, but I think that it wouldn't be bad to go back and do kind of a full review of what you've done so far and and what worked in the past and, and then see if that helps you come up with new ideas. Wonderful. And, and I just want to throw you a virtual hug and tell you that all living things continue to grow. And I think sometimes as autism parents, we are parents of individuals with autism. Let me language it that way. Um, we have an expectation that we're going to arrive someplace. And what I have learned over the years is there is no arrival, nor would there be if our kids were completely neurotypical, right? Um, our, even I look at my friends who have those neurotypical teenagers and the things that they're dealing with. And, I, and I, it's just like a reminder to me, oh, there is no arrival. But if every day is we, we learn something, um, as Dr. Grampuchet said, you're, you're going to find something. But to, to think that you're lost or done at nine, I, I know that you're not because you're an amazing mom and you're never going to stop looking for answers. And he's never going to stop growing. If I had closed the books on the situation when my son was nine and said, well, that's it, we're done, I would have missed out on so many things, so much progress that has come since then in ways that we discovered, oh, he does better if he eats this and not this. Yeah. Um, oh, he does this and, and not that, or, or he's learned, you know, sometimes it just took experience for him to go, oh, that doesn't work for me. Oh, and, you know, I'm so excited that he's not going to stop growing. And, and I would love for you to feel like it's, it's never going to be over. Nobody ever gives up. Nobody ever gives in. Um, all, all will be revealed. We're running out of time. So I, I just, can yeah. I just run in one yes. more kind of word of encouragement? Um, yeah. can you, sometimes it's important to just step back and take care of yourself for a little bit. And I just want to throw that in there because I know as a parent of three kids that I, sometimes I just get myself into a frenzy worrying about one thing or another, and it helps so tremendously if I can just let go of that for a, a, a week. And I'm not saying, honestly, a day is just not enough because it'll still be in your head. It's a matter of just letting go. And that's different than just, if you can just let go and kind of like really um, trust that things will be okay and focus on your own healing, because I know it's been a long time and many years that you've been trying to figure out what to do next. And just take a deep breath and let things be. Then when you come back to the picture in a week, you, things will look a little bit different. And um, I just think that might be also very good for you. And when you do, I love that. And when you do come back after a week, um, it's it's like school, you know, it's like new semester, let's start over. And the, the thing that I always think that Hank used to say all the time, uh, Dr. Grampuchet, uh, Hank would say, up the praise. If you're not where you want to be, up the praise. And I would go, that doesn't make any sense. If I'm not happy with what he's doing, why would I up the praise? And he would say to me, just try, just try that. Let me know how that works. And it always worked. It just always works. If I found a thousand things to praise him about and not be the critical.
that I want to be suddenly everything got better. I felt better. He felt better. We Things happened that I didn't think could happen. So yeah. up the praise. Listen to Hank. Uh, I want to say to our, our journey, Cameron's new life. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Uh, and they said that the physical thing, the, the workout thing uh, is great and that their support worker. But it was raining yesterday, so he didn't get his physical activity, and it was a hard evening and a rough night. Yeah. Haven't we just been through with that, though, with COVID, that for a while there were people, especially people who live in the city, who couldn't go out and couldn't take their kids out? I would refer you back in the rain to some of the things that we've done here on the show about things to do inside. Make that obstacle course in your living room. Yeah, or just uh, put on some loud music and dance like a crazy person. Dance it out. I absolutely love that. Uh, Parker, I'm so, Parker beat me to it. I put the medmaps.org uh, up there, but Parker had it first. Parker, oh, thank you, Parker. Parker always gets there before me. He wants to know if we're going to the Taka conference. I'm definitely planning on tuning into some of it, Parker. Uh, and I don't know, Dr. Grand Pichet, if you have any time for that, but man, they've got some great, great things going on. Uh, that's coming up on October 15th, I believe. Um, that's coming up. So, um, and Parker also had a question, but I, we've got a minute and a half. He wanted to know with uh, all of the new requirements, uh, with California COVID vaccine being enacted, is there any concern for these kids? You know, Unfortunately, it's just too soon to tell with this vaccine. I was just thinking about this, Parker, the other day because it is not really, I, I don't know if I said this to you, Shannon, or I was talking to my husband about it, but I don't think this should have been called a vaccine. It's not like any other vaccine. It doesn't work in the same way. It's a completely different thing. The only similarity it has is that it helps protect our immune system from other from a particular disease but other vaccines are that you inject a small amount of that particular disease and then your body reacts by uh you know building uh immunity to that particular disease this vaccine for covid it doesn't work that way it's an it's a messenger rna vaccine so what it is is uh, basically, uh, a message is given to your uh, to your genetic cells, your RNA, telling them to produce immunity to corona, so to this particular type of corona virus. So it's very different. So we can't conclude anything from prior vaccines. Um, and unfortunately, it's very new. So who knows? It might have its own issues, but we are certainly not aware of them at this time. There are no issues right now at all. And uh, God willing, this uh, use of messenger RNA will become uh, a way of the future for all medicine. In fact, right now, uh, a lot of cancer treatments are beginning to be developed using messenger RNA. So who knows? And as hard as it might be to believe, Shannon, in the long run, maybe this experience of the, of the whole world with uh, COVID-19 ends up being a, a good lesson in which we can heal a lot of other illnesses using the same techniques. Yeah. Um, so uh, still many questions to be answered, though, and, and, and which goes right to, we didn't get to all of the questions that you guys wrote in, but 
Such a pleasure to be here with you on this maiden voyage of the Autism Network and to be here with Dr. Dorian Grandpichet for the first one. It's such a pleasure and honor to be with all of you. We're back tomorrow with the first edition of Autism Live on the Autism Network. And there are many announcements that I'm gonna make and a fabulous guest. You'll have to tune in to see because we're all the way out of time. Thank you so much, Dr. Grandpichet. We'll look forward to having you back next week. Love it. Thank you, everyone. Take care. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye.